You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. Hi friends, Dr. Shelley here. Guess what? You're not going to believe this. I have another book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide. It will be out on December 8th and it's called Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories. So earlier in the 2000s, I wrote a book series, which I have discussed on the Healing Arts Podcast about a phenomenon I call Supretravi spontaneous past life memories. This is when we're trying to mind our own business and yet we're hit with this picture, thought, or feeling about something that happened to us in the past. This was happening to me all the time while I was traveling to other places and what I found through my research is that I truly believe this happens to every single person alive. The book has some incredible endorsements from people like Coast to Coast's George Norrie and others, and it would mean the world to me if you will go out and pre-order my book so that you can have it before the holidays when it comes out on December 8th. So check out Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories, now available in pre-order on Amazon.com. And thank you so much for your support. Namaste. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hey, dear one. Welcome to Healing Arts. So it's season 11. Can you believe it? And I just want to give you a quick reminder. It is not too late to join me on the Shift Network class. It's going to be going on for a few more weeks. Um, this coming week, we're going to be discussing current life healing with dad and then starting on april 30th we are going to begin past life regressions so i will leave the link or you can go to pastlifelady.com and find the link so today i've got judith johnson she's amazing her book is highly recommended it's one of my favorites and she's discussing something that no one wants to talk about death and dying Well, guess what? It's going to happen to everyone. 
And unfortunately, um, it's happening to a lot of our friends and loved ones right now. I, uh, I called tech support for my internet access the other day. And, uh, the guy who answered the phone, he started talking about just all of the friends that he's lost lately. And I know I've lost a lot of people since December, like over 10 people that I've known some really, really well. So, and I don't know about you, but it's just a very strange time right now. And I think it's a perfect time to be looking into how to make peace with death and dying. And Judith is talking about the fact that nobody wants to talk about it. So I highly recommend her book. It is excellent. And so let's settle in and check it out. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So we've got Judith Johnson here today. She's got a fascinating book called Making Peace about death and dying. Judith, your book is incredible. Welcome to Healing Arts. I can't wait to talk about this. How did you, well, I want to talk all about the book. How did you get into this topic about studying death and dying in the first place? Well, most specifically, it I was brought into it um, through the process of my mother's last nine years of her life, she and I shared a home and I was with her from 80 to 89 and got to see the decline, of, you know, through that period of time. And then um, six months before her death, she fell backwards down a flight of stairs, cracked her head open and boom, I was a full-time caregiver in territory I knew nothing about. And um, fast forward to her deathbed, two weeks before she died, she grabbed me by the wrist and she knew that I was a writer. And she said, promise me that you will write about what we learned about getting old and dying in this culture. So this book is the fulfillment of my promise to my mommy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Incredible. You, you do have, a, you have a chart in there where you're talking about some actually showing some of these progressive things let's i guess let's talk about that and then we'll get into other things that i want to mention yeah yeah what are some of these these things that people look for when they're aging and things well most people um are in such denial that they don't think anything should go and anything should decrease we our hearing gets less our memory gets less um, there's a lot of, um, you know, eyesight, a lot of your senses become less acute. Um, and then on the, on the physical level, mobility decreases, and that's a huge one. And I just want to say that as people are going into that part of the journey, when you're in denial that this is going to happen to you or, or some of the things on this list might show up for you, um, there's a battle that people go through where they're trying to hold on to their autonomy. And it's autonomy versus I need help. And so I know for myself and with my mom, it was a real dance that we did together between my kind of oh, wanting to keep her safe and her saying, leave me alone, let me do it myself. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's hard for both people uh, in that situation, but the decline is normal. And that's the point that people need to understand. And that chart, by the way, comes from the work of Ram Dass. And I just thought it was extraordinary. Yes, yes, absolutely it is. So the the focus of the group is 
the book is about the taboos that we have in this yeah. culture about death and dying. So what is this, this taboo in the American culture as you see it based on your experience? Um, before I answer that, let me give the context, which is 2.8 million Americans die each year in this country. And right now, the majority of them, plus the people who are caring for them and their loved ones, are doing this with emotional isolation. They're not sharing the truth of what they're experiencing with each other because everybody's afraid, oh, if I say that, if I tell my truth, it'll upset her. So, for example, if somebody gets a terminal diagnosis, they often don't want to tell their loved ones for fear of upsetting them. That would be an example of how that works. OK, um, so also we blind ourselves to what's normal and what are the kinds of preparation that we need to do for the end of life. And so I think we can do a whole lot better because essentially we're living in a culture that fails to embrace the full depth and breadth of the human experience. And so it leaves us ill-equipped to deal with the full range of, of our lives. And that's a serious problem. Now, how did we get there? And what I call the death taboo. And I didn't name it, by the way. Um, the, um, there's a, my book addresses about five what I call deep tap roots of, of the death taboo. And um, to me, one of the largest ones is uh, polarized thinking, right, wrong thinking. Birth is good. Death is awful. OK, so when you have a culture that thinks that way, anything and this is particularly important for the work that you do, the resistance to, for example, perceiving that there might be something beyond the death of the physical body is thwarted because we have this polarized um, thinking. So in that case, for example, um, I'm somebody who believes that when my body dies, there is a part of me that continues. So when I, when I look at my death, what I'm looking at is the death of my body and not the death of me. Okay, so that's critically important. But a lot of people in our society think that when their body dies, that's death. And again, in the polarized thinking, another example of that is if you look in a dictionary and look at the word death, it shows it in metabolic biological terms. It's all about when the body stops functioning, you're dead. So again, that reinforces the idea that death is physical and there's nothing else. So that kind of thinking really uh, gets in our way. Um, another important piece that has led to the taboo is um, you have to go back to like the mid 1300s when the Black Plague happened. When the Black Plague happened, imagine, and we can imagine given what we're living with today, half of the European population, and we come from European roots in this country. So you have to understand that the psyche that is inhabiting us comes from those roots. And um, half the European population was wiped out by the Black Plague in four years. Now, imagine that you, know, you have a family of 10 people, five of them are gonna die in the Black Plague. And that was what everybody's experience was. And something that happened that um, 
people began to try and fool death into thinking, oh, I'm already dead. You can pass over me. And they did that by creating these drawings of like skulls and crossbones and the Grim Reaper. And they pinned them on their clothing to fool death into thinking, I'm already dead. Go to the next person. Okay. Now, what's significant about that, um, I've been doing Google searches of the word death for maybe 15 years now. And up until about five years ago, all the images were like that, okay? Most of them were black and white and your natural reaction was, oh no, you know, they were scary images about death. And again, relating to your field of work, um, when Eben Alexander published his book, Proof of Heaven, that tended to change the, the uh, attitude quite a lot. And pictures started showing up that were pictures of near-death experiences. And um, prior to that, it, a lot of people thought, oh, that's woo-woo stuff. But now when you put in the word death, you will see a lot of those pictures as well, which suggests again, that there's something beyond the death of the physical body. That's a really critical point. Um, and for those who don't know who Eben Alexander is, he was a, he's a neurosurgeon who poo-pooed all of that kind of stuff and said that, oh, that's I can explain that all in terms of biological impulses in the body and yada, yada, yada. That doesn't exist. And then he had a near-death experience and he went through the tunnel and, he, you know, he, all those things that people talk about, he experienced. And that gave credibility um, where there had not been any before. And let me just mention a couple more quickly, if I may, about how yes. we got into this negative attitude about death. And to remind people that because we have this in our culture doesn't mean it's true. OK, to have an idea that death is bad is an idea. It's not necessarily real. Um, now, granted, am I eager personally to die tomorrow? No, thank you. <laughs> That's not you know, my preference, but I'm in this culture. Um, but let us put it this way. For those who have um, a sense of self that goes beyond the physical body, it is less traumatic than for those who see a you know, period, end of sentence, I'm done, that was my life. Um, so another theme that goes through that builds up the death taboo is the removal of death from our everyday lives. And we see that in several key places. During the Civil War, well, let me put it this way, prior to the Civil War, um, uh, like if you were to go to a house that, for, that was built in the early 1800s, it would have two parlor rooms, two parlors in the front of the house. And one of those parlor rooms was specifically for laying out a, a dead relative. And we did our dying rituals in our houses. So sickness and death were done within the context of the family home. We had intergenerational homes. People were not, you know, flying off to another country every other day, you know, people were not as mobile as they are now. And so everything centered around the home, even death. Come the Civil War with our soldiers dying far away from home, people wanted to bring their bodies home. And so that began the funeral industry. And the, and the acceptance of embalming of bodies so that it would preserve them long enough to get them home so we could have rituals and bury our loved ones. 
And furniture makers all of a sudden had a booming business because they were making coffins <laughs> in addition to, uh, you know, household furnishings. So that was an important piece that laid in. And then bring in our high tech that has come into the medical field, okay? Um, if you think about the medical, the mentality of um, how doctors are educated, let's start with that. They are taught to preserve life. Everything is about making them better. There is nothing in the, that, they are, that they have been taught traditionally for years that deals with, and it's normal that they're going to die at some point, and we want to give good care to people who are dying. That didn't show up in our culture until hospice came. And that was about 50 years ago that it started becoming something. We're still at the point now where if you say hospice, oh no, I don't want hospice because that means admitting I'm dying. Okay, where in fact, hospice is like being abducted by a team of angels who are going to make your end of life much more pleasant an experience than you would have without them, okay? Another thing about the technology is if you are constantly uh, doing, let's do more tests and more procedures. And sometimes the things that we can do really cause more stress and distress for the patient than if we were to say, you know, my mom's 89, she's dying. I remember, um, my mother and I in that last six months had many trips to the emergency room. You know, that was not uncommon. And finally, um, one of the emergency room doctor finally took me into his office and privately said to me, I need you to understand that there's nothing further that we can do medically for your mother. And of course, I burst into tears because there is this moment where you go from trying to fix, trying to fix, trying to fix to how do I accept that this is the end and that now my mother's dying. And that's a critically difficult point if we don't have an environment of compassion and caring to do that in. Okay. Um, finally, I want to say that both in terms of um, the sick and the, you know, the elderly, we now institutionalize, okay? People get put in the hospital, they get put in the nursing home. And all of that over this past, you know, since the, before the Civil War has changed our culture so that when we're dealing with illness and death, it's not in the home. We're unfamiliar with how to deal with it. And, all, and we have this ancestral, heritage of a consciousness that says, oh, leave me alone, death, I'm terrified of you. That's the death taboo, and that's how it works. Wow, Judith, <laughs> this is a lot to unpack. I love everything you're talking about. I One of my books is on ancestral healing, and I think you're exactly right that they're actually proving, as you know, that some of our personality is being brought forth from the ancestors. So of course, we're going to have these inherent fears. And like you said, new behaviors that we've developed that are being brought through straight from those who have come before us. I, I didn't realize that about the Civil War, though, until yeah. I yeah. checked this out. I mean, that is so interesting. And, and, and you're exactly right. If we don't do that in the home, then I guess we're just putting them over there and just let turn our eye and just pretend like this isn't happening is not right. good. And, and we go, and a lot of people go into the, oh, it's inconvenient, or I live four hours away. So we are distanced from death. I know when my mother was dying, I was the only of, one of three siblings who was geographically near her. 
And so that put the burden of care on me, you know, and um, and I got a lot of excuses from others about, oh, I'd love to come and see her, but. And um, I just really encourage people, if you hear yourself saying that, make it a priority to visit the person who's leaving because it will mean the world to them probably. You know, it's we need a lot more compassion and consideration of honoring each other when we're leaving and make and, you know, yes, death is not convenient. We don't schedule it. You know, it's not like, well, let's see, five years from next Thursday would be a good day for me. No, it's just all of a sudden you get a phone call and you've got a terminal diagnosis or you hear that your mother just had a stroke or something and everything changes in an instant. We need to be better able to respond and and make it a priority to to support that person. Absolutely. And you talk also about you alluded to it just a second ago about the, how important it is to go ahead and go see these people and um, make amends and and be at peace, let's say, when they're making their transition. Can you speak to that a little bit? Why is that so important? It seems oh, obvious, but... Yeah, well, yes. And, and I think the, the most important point there is when people are in resistance to doing that, um, they need to take a look at, is it because I'm scared? You know, am I making the fact that I'm scared a, a justification for not doing it anyway? I'd go ahead and be scared, but show up. Um, just the isolation. I mean, think of it this way, okay? Um, research has been done about how people feel about their own death. And they're asked, um, where would you like to die? Well, 90% of people say, I want to die at home surrounded by my loved ones. And guess what? Ninety <laughs> percent of us, 90% of us die in hospitals or nursing homes. We don't have our, our culture working in a way that that wish gets fulfilled. And so we have to go to them. And even if it's inconvenient, make the effort Be and think about it. If it were you, what would it mean to you? Um, do whatever you need to do to get your get yourself into movement and get there. It's an act of love. And it's really, are we going to withhold our love or are we going to get there? And, and granted, some people can't physically get there. But you now we can Zoom. Uh, we can get on the telephone. We can write letters. There are all kinds of ways that we can communicate to the person who's dying. I love you. And that we can make sure, and this is another thing, is uh, don't wait. I mean, ideally, we would be more comfortable talking about these things, but we're not. You know, we're, we're just really not comfortable with this. And so be brave and say, you know, is there anything that we need to clear up between us? Or if you know that there is, say, you know what? I want to tell you that I'm really sorry about what I did, blah, 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 blah. You will feel better. They will feel better. And it's a matter of reaching towards each other rather than staying in separate silos. It, love, is, love is really the thing that, that brings us together and heals our sadness. Very important. Yes, absolutely. The other thing that you brought up that I thought was important is that if we have, let's say we have a relative who's 
passing away. It is them who's getting ready to pass away, not us. So we need to kind of turn our attention to them to the yes. degree that we can. So can you speak to that as well? And what kinds of issues could come up if we choose not to go there? Sure. Um, and, and let me put this in the context of the fact that part of the work that I do is um, I have a, I do a lot of mentoring where I work with people on cleaning up their state of consciousness, basically the level of consciousness from which they live their lives. And um, I work with individuals, with couples and with end of life issues. And an example of an end of life issue in this area is, let's say that, um, and I'm thinking right now of a friend of mine who died when he was, I think, 89 or 90. And he was in the home, which was wonderful, but he was in the home and his son's wife, so his daughter-in-law was in charge. And he also had seven other children. And because they were children, they were trying to pull rank with her about, well, no, we want him to be eating this and we want him to be doing that and make sure you do this and that. So they were one upping the caregiver, which is one thing. But the other is, what does he want? So, for example, they were they were trying to deal with the fact that he wasn't eating. Well, he wasn't eating because he was dying. And when we're in the process of dying, there's levels at which we withdraw from our human experience, okay? Dying can be hard work. And so, so just going back to that point for a second, it is his death, not yours. And so it's very important to ask the person, are you okay with not eating? Not, well, I think you should eat. Don't take charge. Be supportive to the process that they choose. So if they don't want to eat, let them not eat. One of the things um, about hospice, you know, when you go into hospice, if you're actively dying, then they're not going to feed you. And I right. think that can be very difficult for the observers of that um, phenomenon to allow that process to continue. Correct. But with proper education, you understand that that withdrawal of eating when somebody's body is shutting down they're not it's not painful for them to not eat i mean i remember my mother was in an was basically in a coma the last nine days of her life there was no food going in her body and there was no water going in her body but it took nine days for her body to shut down that didn't cause her pain she was very peaceful and and you know active dying is uh, a process that needs to be respected. And a lot of our fears and, and distress about, oh, but they should eat, is because we don't know that not eating is okay when you're moving into active dying. So we have a lot of ignorance around the process and need to be better educated. Absolutely. So do you think there's hope that we're gonna be able to release these taboos in the society? I think we're working to that. And I wanna say your book is phenomenal for helping people to get behind some of these issues, but do you think there's hope, Judith? I do, this? I do, and, and let me respond to that in a couple of ways. When I was designing this book, one of the things that was critically important to me was the fact that I know that to read a book, it's one thing to get intellectual information. It's another thing to put it into practice. Mm 
So my book has a series of exercises and, you know, it's, it's why it's the subtitle is liberating ourselves from the death taboo. It takes work. It takes effort to overcome the programming that we have. But in this book, there are exercises that ask you to do things like, for example, think about what your beliefs are about death. Um, how do you feel about your own death? What do you think happens when we die? People don't take the time to think about these things. But when you think about it, and then you start and you read about the fact, like I have a lot of information in there. Um, in one section, I talk a lot, a lot about Tibetan um, Buddhist beliefs and things that affect their way of dealing with death, which is a much more peaceful way of relating to death, okay? So just to give the reader the ideas of, hey, there's other ways of looking at this. In terms of, is there hope? Yes, there's lots of hope. Um, one of the things that I, that I, I mean, hospice is perhaps the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, one that is changing how we experience death. Because people like myself who have had firsthand experience with what they do. And hospice treats not just the patient, they treat the family exactly. and, you know, the caregivers. And they know how to do that. For me, it was an experience of being all alone, not knowing what I was doing, trying to do the best I could to protect my mother and take good care of her, to having somebody I could call 24 hours a day that would not be upset if I called at three o'clock in the morning and said something about, oh, I, this just happened and I'm scared, and then they would talk me through it. Um, and then, you know, of course, they're in and out of the house. But more so, it's just the consciousness shift that is happening and that hospice is being is great in revolutionizing that. Another group is, believe it or not, the baby boomers. Um, another area that I have worked in, uh, I don't know if you know this from my website, but I wrote my first book was called The Wedding Ceremony Planner, The Essential Guide to the Most Important Part of Your Wedding Day. And then I wrote another one called um, uh, How to Write Meaningful Wedding Vows. And in that context, okay, when I started doing weddings in the early 1990s, that was a revolutionary thing that people were designing their own wedding ceremony and moving away from having a particular religious tradition define their ritual, even if they didn't have uh, an active participation in that religious tradition. So all of a sudden the freedom came forward. Um, this same group of people, the baby boomers, we're now elder boomers. And we're all in this, in this time frame where we're either uh, taking care of our parents who are dying or we're dying. Okay. And so we are dealing with death differently. We are the ones very much who are looking for a healthier relationship to death and the end of life and wanting better care. So that's one group. And the other is a group called the spiritual, but not religious. And again, you can imagine that they're the ones who really pushed on having different marriage rituals. And they're also the ones that are pushing for, um, for example, memorial services as opposed to funeral services that are, you know, funeral services more traditionally in a religious tradition, whereas a memorial can be more customized to um, a celebration of the life of that person. So it's a very different way of looking at death whether to let's all have a box of tissues and cry or let's celebrate 
how wonderful it was for us to have this person with us. Absolutely. Yeah, your book is wonderful. You've got um, an acronym, Lighten Up, where you've got all the different areas <laughs> that we need to work on. One of the things I want to bring up is um, you talk about why we do need to consider, like you said, thinking about what do we even think about death and mm -hmm. making these plans now, like pre-planning for end of life. Why is that so important and why do we not want to do that? Well, we don't want to do it because of the death taboo, because we're taught avoid our our consciousness has been programmed and it's not our fault. OK, that we are this way, but we have a, a, a relationship to death that is basically fear and avoidance, you know, so you get wrinkles. Oh, my God, I need plastic surgery or you dye your hair. This is not dyed. This is my hair. I love <laughs> but, your hair. I told you to fit it before the show, kids. Isn't it beautiful? I love it. But, but to accept, moving into a state of acceptance about this all makes an enormous difference. I just lost track of the question. Oh, yeah. Well, why, we, why? why don't we want to pre-plan, but what should we be doing to pre-plan and right. why we should be doing it? The biggest reason the biggest reason we don't do it is we have this fantasy that you have to be old to die. No, 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 no. You do not have to be old to die. Twenty eight percent of Americans die before they're 65. So if you are living with this fantasy that you don't have to think about, for example, having a health care proxy or a will, these are legal documents, then you're kidding yourself. And here's the reality. Um, coming out from under the death taboo and getting an education about this, what you find is that a healthcare proxy, for example, is a document that gives you the opportunity to state what do, kind of end of life medical care do I want and what don't I want? For example, am I somebody who wants to have be hooked up to tubes in a hospital or do I want to die at home peacefully? You know, those are two extremes, but you get to say what you want and appoint somebody to speak on your behalf if and when you can't speak for yourself. OK, so that might happen. For example, let's say you go and have surgery. Um, we have an example. Joan Rivers died. Oh gosh, when yes. She died having having a, an endoscopy or yeah, elective surgery, elective surgery. And it was something that it was like this bizarre thing that she happened to die. Had she, you know, but that's an example when you are unconscious, like because you're in surgery, you should have a healthcare proxy just in case they need to make a decision for you. And that person needs to know what you would want. Okay. Now you might be having elective surgery when you're 22 years old. You are not too young to take care of having a healthcare proxy. The other one, and I just wanna mention, is having a will um, or a trust, which basically says, here's what I want done with my money and my stuff when I die, okay? Now, again, if you don't, if you say to yourself, well, I really don't have anything, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does, because when you die, whether you die when you're very young or you're very old, Here's what happens. If you have no legal document about what you want to have done, you have foregone the opportunity to have your wishes be known. 
So that does two things. It throws your possessions into the law of the state in which you live, and that will regulate what happens to your stuff. Now imagine being one of your relatives and having you die they're in mourning and grief that you've died and they have your whole house to deal with and no idea what you wanted done. So it puts enormous stress and pressure on your loved ones if you didn't take the time to say, here's how, what I think and what I want. It is an act of love to do that as young as you can for, to, as an expression of love to your family. And one of the things that I highly recommend is if you haven't done that, ask your family someday, sit down with your family like next Thanksgiving or whatever and say, hey, who here has a will? Now, somebody might say, oh yes, I did my will in 1975. Well, is, that's another thing, is it up to date? Um, one of the things I recommend is that, you know, once a year, sit down, look at your healthcare proxy and your will and say, is that still what I want? Because amending it is so much easier once you have the first version done. Okay. But it's again, it's an act of um, claiming your own voice all the way through to the end of your life. Here's what I want. And it's an act of love to your loved ones that you don't burden them with trying to figure it out and make decisions when they didn't know what you wanted. Absolutely, you hear um, too many stories about that to even, we, we would be here all day talking about those yeah. stories where this yeah. happens to people. It happens to people yeah. every single day. I've had friends that's happened to you. I'm sure you know people as well. So yeah, yeah. I totally am on the same page. Judith, this book is amazing. Um, I really love the work you're doing. How oh, can we get a hold of you? What is your web? We're going to have your website in the link. So tell us your website and tell us. My website is so that. easy. Judithjohnson.com. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. And it, it'll also get you to my social media and my YouTube channel and all of that. Um, and, you know, come and visit me anytime. And my book is available. My book was, the publication date was supposed to be January 11th, so last week. But because of all the shipping delays that are going on in this country, it's been pushed off till March 8th. But you can now pre-order it on any of the online bookstores like uh, Barnes & Noble or Amazon or anywhere. You can put in a uh, pre-order for the book and it'll be sent to you on March 8th. Excellent. Please, please. I um, am happy that I have had a glance at your book. People, you're <laughs> going to love this. This is incredible. You bring up so many helpful things for people because you're right. There's a lot of caregivers in the society right now yeah. who yeah. don't know yeah. what to do from that aspect and all the other things you bring up. It's very, very important work and I love it and it's highly recommended. Thank you. And, you know, basically we are all going to die and everybody we know and love is going to die so this book is designed to help us do it better and with greater love and and respect and consideration for each other you know there's a, i want to mention one other section that is my personal favorite is um unearthing your treasures and it's a section in the book where i encourage people to do kind of like a journal or some kind of a a statement where, where they gather, maybe it's pictures with uh, with captions and commentary, maybe it's um, recording their voice, whatever, but tell us who are you and how, what's it like being you? 
You know, we very often, and, and you know from ancestral work, oh, you know, grandma so-and-so lived in such and such a place. Well, that doesn't give you the sense of what kind of, who was she? What was she like? You know, it's like, what was her favorite recipe to make? I mean, little things like that have make the person come to life. And for us to share with each other, this is what it's like being me. These are the things I struggle with. Here are these are the things I'm really good at. These are the people who have given me the most value in my life and really been a, a blessing to me. I mean, that's the kind of ancestral information I would like. Absolutely. That's a great point. You're right. Because yeah, there's just not much information. Um, no. There's only so much you can get from a photograph too. Right. Or from somebody else saying, oh yeah, I knew her. But then you're hearing their version through the filter of them, who that person was. Whereas wouldn't you like to hear it directly from them? Yeah, that's really interesting. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent point. I've been seeing those, um, They've been doing stories about people who turn themselves into holograms. Have you seen that? Yes. That's very interesting. And they answer a bunch of questions as a hologram so that people, I saw it in a TV show recently, but I think they're actually doing that in real life where you can go yes. become a hologram. So it's kind of interesting. So this is kind of the lower tech version of making yourself a little bit more immortal for exactly. the loved ones. Exactly. That's awesome. Completely awesome. Judith, wishing you continued success, joy, and just keep up the great work. Um, highly recommended book, friends. So we will have the links below, and I want you to check this one out. Everybody needs to have some common sense around death, and this is the book that's going to help you do it. Oh, thank you so much, Shelley. Yes, absolutely. All right, friends. So I will see you next time on another episode of Healing Arts. <laughs> So thank you so much for listening to 11 seasons of Healing Arts. Um, I'm going to be putting some different kinds of material in here and mixing this up with our guest interviews. So I hope that will be helpful for you at this time. I feel everybody needs a lot of resources to get through some of the challenges that we're facing. So I'm wishing you well. I'm keeping you in my prayers. And I will look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Healing Arts. Did you know that scientists now say that up to 50% of your personality is carried over through your DNA? I know, right? It's shocking, but apparently it's true. And that's the reason why you will love my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. Through the book, you can take guided journeys into the past and discover places where your ancestors need healing. You can send loving kindness, grace, and healing light to your ancestors and experience the ripple effects as that wonderful energy travels through time and affects all people in your family tree. So check out my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life from Llewellyn Worldwide. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady. <music>